Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 17 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we're going to be talking about question 45, and this question is something, well, it addresses something that is absolutely essential to the Christian faith, to the degree that if it is not true, then Christianity is absolutely pointless. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. He goes on in verse 19 and says, If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. What we're talking about today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We typically call it Easter, and we just celebrated it last week. Now, Easter is one of those old English terms that identify the Christian festival of the resurrection. Now, I prefer to call it Resurrection Day because that cuts through all of the cultural and religious confusion, and it gets right to the heart of what that day is all about. It's about the resurrection. We are talking about the historical reality that a first century Jewish rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus, who also happens to be the one and only Son of God, was crucified in Jerusalem during Passover week and then three days later was raised from the dead. We are talking about the theological reality that by his death, burial, and resurrection, we who believe have been saved from our sins and have been granted eternal life. We're talking about the present reality that because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, we of all people have reason to live our lives with this indestructible hope, no matter how good nor how horrible our circumstances in life happen to be. And we're also talking about the supernatural reality that the founder of our faith went through death and came out on the other side alive. Today, we are talking about the resurrection of Christ and how that impacts both our life and our faith. And we're going to do that by obviously looking at question 45 from the Heidelberg Catechism and its answer. Now, here's the question. What benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? Now, here's the answer, and it's in three parts. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death that he might make us partakers of the righteousness which by his death he obtained for us. Secondly, we also are now by his power raised up to a new life. Thirdly, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Now, the Heidelberg breaks down the benefits of Christ's resurrection into these three different parts. The first has to do with the benefit of the resurrection with regard to our relationship to God. The second has to do with the benefit of the resurrection with regard to our spiritual life at the present time. And then the third has to do with the benefit of the resurrection with regard to our future hope of being resurrected into eternal life like Jesus. But before we break down all of these, let's try and understand what resurrection actually means and what it doesn't mean. So the word resurrection, it's not a very common term in the Bible. It's not very common in the Old Testament. And in fact, it's not all that common in the New Testament, even though we do see it. But when ancient religious people thought about life after death, they didn't think in terms of resurrection. I mean, when most of us think about an afterlife, 
perhaps the first thing that comes into mind is this idea of a spiritual existence. That's what pagans have believed for millennia. They believe in life after death as being some spiritual existence after death, but not necessarily a bodily resurrection and existence after death. Many of the Jews, the Sadducees in particular, rejected the idea of bodily resurrection because they claimed that Moses didn't say anything about the bodily resurrection after death in the Old Testament. Now, they were wrong, of course, and Jesus pointed out how they were wrong in Mark chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. I won't read that right now, but I'll continue on this same theme. Resurrection is not speaking about a spiritual life after death. Resurrection is referring to something that happens to the body. Most religions identify that the soul will live on after death, but Christianity teaches that our bodies will be raised from the grave. The followers of Jesus might have lived long and happy lives if they had simply stated that Jesus lived on in the Spirit after His crucifixion, but that's not what they meant. They taught that Jesus' body was raised, brought back to life by the power of God. And not just that, but that his body was fully healed of all of his wounds and his body was made new in a way that we don't fully understand. They taught this because they saw it with their own eyes. They walked into the empty tomb just three days after they saw Christ die on the cross. They saw Jesus in the upper room. They saw the scars in his hands and on his side. They touched those scars. They saw Jesus again on the shore in Galilee. They ate breakfast with him. They watched outside of Jerusalem as his body was taken up into heaven right before their eyes. When Jesus' disciples preached the resurrection, they weren't referring to Jesus' soul being raised or his spirit living on in them. They were claiming that his dead body had been raised to life. Now, that sounds so odd, thinking in terms of our own secular culture, but it was just as odd, it was just as uh, offensive to the people in that day. The Romans... They looked at the resurrection of Jesus, the the teaching of the resurrection, as nonsense, and the Jews referred to it as a scandal. But in reality, the resurrection of Christ is at the very heart of the gospel. And that's the, the first point of the Heidelberg's answer here. Our salvation depends on the reality that Jesus not only died on the cross for our sins, but also that he was raised from the dead three days later. Here again is what the Catechism says. By his resurrection, he has overcome death, that he might make us partakers of the righteousness which by his death he has obtained for us. So here's what it's saying. He has overcome death and made us partakers of the righteousness that he obtained for us. All right, now what does that mean? Well, one of the Apostle Paul's favorite topics of discussion is the difference between the righteousness that we seek to earn by our obedience to the law of God and the righteousness that um, Jesus has earned for us by his obedience to God. In Philippians 3, Paul writes, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, here's a question. Why is it better for us to have the righteousness that comes through faith than to seek to obtain righteousness on my own? Okay, well, let's do a simple thought experiment. Uh, Imagine that you do 
one act, one single act of pure righteousness every day of your life, one act per day in obedience to the law of God that is not fueled by some selfish motive or some sinful ambition, one per day. And I believe that that is being crazy generous. I remember a stretch of years between my own high school and college time that wouldn't have produced anything to my credit. But let's be generous and let's give ourselves credit for one good deed each day of our lives. If we live to be 80 years old, that is just over 29,000 good deeds in a lifetime. But the math really doesn't matter all that much because for each good deed, there is a counteractive bad deed. We have to consider the other side of the scale. Can we assume one act of unrighteousness every day of our lives? Can we assume just one lie or one act of deception or one angry thought or one lustful thought or one hateful thought or one act of greed or one act of pride or one act of impatience or gossip or vanity? I mean, you get the idea. If, if we can hopefully, generously try to give ourselves one act of pure righteousness a day, every day of our lives, then can we at the same time say that only one act of unrighteousness per day has happened, and maybe saying that is, is generous. But here's the reality. If it is, in fact, a one-to-one -one issue here, then it's a wash. I mean, we, we have the, the math just cancels itself out. If we do one act of righteousness and one act of unrighteousness, in the end, we have nothing to show for the entirety of our lives when it comes to this idea of earning our own righteousness in a just way. Okay, now that's just a thought experiment because here's, here's what the Bible teaches. The reality is that the numbers aren't even close to being in our favor. All right, so Galatians 3 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Here's the reality. The law cannot save us. Our imagined earning of righteousness is a farce. Our imagined righteousness will never make us right with God. I mean, imagine standing before God and having tallied up the balance of our good deeds and our sin and then presenting that to Him as justification for why He should accept us and give us eternal life. I mean, the truth is we have no chance of pleasing God in this way. But now, let's imagine this. I want you to imagine not our supposed righteousness, which does nothing more than cancel itself out, but what about the righteousness of Jesus? I want you to imagine all of the righteous deeds that Jesus ever did on any given day. And there's no need to subtract the unrighteous deeds of Jesus because there are none. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, but he was without sin, Hebrews 4.15. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. Which righteousness do you want to present to God so that he would accept you? Yours, which is nothing, or Jesus's, which is perfect? Now, that's, that's the issue. That's what Paul's getting at in Philippians when he talks about desiring to have a righteousness not that comes from his own obedience to the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. And the question is, whose obedience are you trusting in? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is evidence 
that when Jesus came before the Father, his obedience and his sacrifice was fully accepted. You see, God raised him from the dead because nothing remained. His righteousness had fully paid the bill for all the sins of all those who would believe. Our relationship to God rests not on our righteousness, but on His righteousness. And His resurrection gives us confidence that God has accepted His offering for us in full. And that's the first answer. Now, secondly, the resurrection benefits us today in that we experience new life in Christ. Now, in order for us to understand this, I want to read a passage from Romans chapter 6 to, to help us understand something of the spiritual logic of the resurrection on our life as believers. Now, this is from Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of God. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. Now, we're united with him by faith. Right? So we, we are trusting in Jesus. We are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And by believing, we, we learn in Romans 5 that we are now justified before God. We are now saved. Our, our relationship with God is restored. And so Paul is building on that logic. He says, so if we have been united by faith with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, so is that talking about resurrection in the future? Well, no, not exactly. Paul goes on. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So there's a, a spiritual benefit that comes by trusting in Christ, and it comes in, in, in today's uh, battle against sin. Here He goes on in verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, not literally, but figuratively, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Right, So there's the, there's the theological logic of this. By virtue of our union with Christ, the benefit of his resurrection is that the, the debt, right for the wages of sin is death, the death of the debt, I'm sorry, of death has been paid in full. He doesn't need to die again, and we don't need to die again in that regard, not in order for us to live this new life, because we live, in the fact that he has re been resurrected from the dead and he lives. So here's, here's the crutch. In verse 11, he says this, So, based on all of this theology, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You see, here's what Paul is saying. There is freedom from the power of sin as a benefit of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus' resurrection has fundamentally altered the hold that sin has on believers. It has fundamentally changed the way we view life and the way we live life. 
And we are to live today as believers in Christ in the spiritual reality of the fact that Christ has paid the price, Christ has gone into the tomb, and he has been raised for us. Okay, maybe that's still difficult to understand. One of my favorite pastors and and authors today, his name is Ray Ortland, And Ray Ortland writes this, and it was helpful to me. He says, deep inside every one of us is a dimmer switch, like the one in your dining room at home. We're born with that switch turned all the way down. There is darkness with us, and the switch is too deep inside us for us to reach inside ourselves and turn it on. But God is able to reach inside us and to turn that thing all the way up. God is able to get inside our interior person and turn the lights on so that we come alive to God, so that we come alive to the the knowledge of who God is. We come alive to the knowledge of our own sin. In His great love and mercy, God can touch us deeply, and the new aliveness He gives is nothing less than the resurrection life of Jesus. It's a total miracle. It isn't part you and part God. It's all God. It is the mercy and love of God raising the dead. You don't deserve it. It's all of grace. You don't cause it. It's all of His power. This verse, verse 8, says that this newness of life is a gift of God. You just receive it with the empty hands of faith. So the resurrection of Jesus, in a very real way, credits to us a spiritual life of dead to sin and alive to God. And we live in that reality now. Now, thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus not only benefits our relationship to God, the resurrection of Jesus not only benefits us in the spiritual life we live now, but the resurrection of Jesus will benefit us in the future. And this is perhaps the one we think about the most. Uh, here's a passage, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. He's talking about believers. And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior. Something is coming back from heaven for us, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, in verse 21, he says, He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the resurrection of Jesus was only the beginning or like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, Jesus' resurrection was just the first part of the harvest, the first fruits. Our resurrection will be realized when the rest of the harvest comes to maturity. Because as Jesus was raised, so too will we be raised, all those who trust in Christ. But that means as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so too will those who believe in him be resurrected from the dead to live an eternal life with Him. Now, do we fully understand what it will be like to have those resurrection bodies? No, but it will be far better than anything we can imagine and far better than the life we have now. We will be made like Him. And ultimately, that is enough for me. Now, thank you for joining me today to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope it has been a blessing to you and helpful to you, and I hope that you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 18 together and discuss questions 46 through 49. Now, if you want to learn more about our church, about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.